Section 14 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leonard Wilson. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 3, Section 14. Excerpts from Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen An Offer of Marriage from Pride and Prejudice The next day opened a new scene at Longbourn. Mr. Collins made his declaration in form, having resolved to do it without loss of time, as his leave of absence extended only to the following Saturday, and having no feelings of diffidence to make it distressing to himself, even at the moment, he set about it in a very orderly manner, with all the observances which he supposed a regular part of the business. On finding Mrs. Bennet, Elizabeth, and one of the younger girls together soon after breakfast, he addressed the mother in these words. "'May I hope, madam, for your interest with your fair daughter Elizabeth?' when I solicit for the honour of a private audience with her in the course of this morning." Before Elizabeth had time for anything but a blush of surprise, Mrs. Bennet instantly answered, "'Oh, dear, yes, certainly. I am sure Lizzie will be very happy. I am sure she can have no objection. Come, Kitty, I want you upstairs.' And gathering her work together, she was hastening away when Elizabeth called out, "'Dear madam, do not go. I beg you will not go. Mr. Collins must excuse me. He can have nothing to say to me that anybody need not hear. I am going away myself.' "'No, no, nonsense, Lizzie. I desire you will stay where you are.' And upon Elizabeth seeming really with vexed and embarrassed looks about to escape, she added, "'Lizzie, I insist upon your staying and hearing Mr. Collins.' Elizabeth would not oppose such an injunction, and a moment's consideration making her also sensible that it would be wisest to get it over as soon and as quietly as possible, she sat down again and tried to conceal by incessant employment the feelings which were divided between distress and diversion. Mrs. Bennet and Kitty walked off, and as soon as they were gone, Mr. Collins began. "'Believe me, my dear Miss Elizabeth, that your modesty, so far from doing you any disservice, rather adds to your other perfections. You would have been less amiable in my eyes had there not been this little unwillingness. But allow me to assure you that I have your respected mother's permission for this address. You can hardly doubt the purport of my discourse, however your natural delicacy may lead you to dissemble. My attentions have been too marked to be mistaken. Almost as soon as I entered the house, I singled you out as the companion of my future life. But before I am run away with by my feelings on this subject, perhaps it will be advisable for me to state my reasons for marrying, and, moreover, for coming into Hertfordshire with the design of selecting a wife, as I certainly did. The idea of Mr. Collins, with all his solemn composure, 
being run away with by his feelings, made Elizabeth so near laughing that she could not use the short pause he allowed in any attempt to stop him further, and he continued. Uh, "'My reasons for marrying are, first, that I think it a right thing for every clergyman in easy circumstances, like myself, to set the example of matrimony in his parish. Secondly, that I am convinced it will add very greatly to my happiness. And thirdly, which perhaps I ought to have mentioned earlier, that it is the particular advice and recommendation of the very noble lady whom I have the honour of calling patroness. Twice she has condescended to give me her opinion, unasked, too, on this subject, and it was but the very Saturday night before I left Hunsford, between our pools at Quadrille, while Mrs. Jenkinson was arranging Miss de Bourg's footstool, that she said, "'Mr. Collins, you must marry. A clergyman like you must marry. Choose properly, choose a gentlewoman, for my sake, and for your own let her be an active, useful sort of person, not brought up high, but able to make a small income go a good way.' This is my advice. Find such a woman as soon as you can, bring her to Hunsford, and I will visit her. Allow me, by the way, to observe, my fair cousin, that I do not reckon the notice and kindness of Lady Catherine de Bourg as among the least of the advantages in my power to offer. You will find her manners beyond anything I can describe, and your wit and vivacity, I think, must be acceptable to her, especially when tempered with the silence and respect which her rank will inevitably excite. Thus much for my general intention in favour of matrimony. It remains to be told why my views are directed to Longbourn instead of my own neighbourhood where i assure you there are many amiable young women but the fact is that being as i am to inherit this estate after the death of your honoured father who however may live many years longer i could not satisfy myself without resolving to choose a wife from among his daughters that the loss to them might be as little as possible when the melancholy event takes place, which, however, as I have already said, may not be for several years. This has been my motive, my fair cousin, and I flatter myself it will not sink me in your esteem. And now nothing remains for me but to assure you in the most animated language of the violence of my affection to fortune i am perfectly indifferent and shall make no demand of that nature on your father since i am well aware that it could not be complied with and that one thousand pounds in the four per cents which will not be yours till after your mother's decease is all that you may ever be entitled to on that head therefore i shall be uniformly 
silent, and you may assure yourself that no ungenerous reproach shall ever pass my lips when we are married. It was absolutely necessary to interrupt him now. You are too hasty, sir, she cried. You forget that I have made no answer. Let me do it without further loss of time. Accept my thanks for the compliment you are paying me. I am very sensible of the honour of your proposals. But it is impossible for me to do otherwise than decline them. I am not now to learn, replied Mr. Collins, with a formal wave of the hand, that it is usual with young ladies to reject the addresses of the man whom they secretly mean to accept when he first applies for their favour, and that sometimes the refusal is repeated a second or even a third time. I am therefore by no means discouraged by what you have just said, and shall hope to lead you to the altar ere long upon my word sir cried elizabeth your hope is rather an extraordinary one after my declaration i do assure you that i am not one of those young ladies if such young ladies there are who are so daring as to risk their happiness on the chance of being asked a second time i am perfectly serious in my refusal you could not make me happy and I am convinced that I am the last woman in the world who would make you so. Nay, were your friend Lady Catherine to know me, I am persuaded she would find me in every respect ill-qualified for the situation. Were it certain that Lady Catherine would think so, said Mr. Collins, very gravely, but I cannot imagine that her ladyship would at all disapprove of you and you may be certain that when i have the honour of seeing her again i shall speak in the highest terms of your modesty economy and other amiable qualifications indeed mr collins all praise of me will be unnecessary you must give me leave to judge for myself and pay me the compliment of believing what i say i wish you very happy and very rich and by refusing your hand do all in my power to prevent your being otherwise in making me the offer you must have satisfied the delicacy of your feelings with regard to my family and may take possession of longbourn estate whenever it falls without any self-reproach this matter may be considered therefore as finally settled and rising as she thus spoke she would have quitted the room had not mr collins thus addressed her when i do myself the honour of speaking to you next on the subject i shall hope to receive a more favourable answer than you have now given me though i am far from accusing you of cruelty at present because i know it to be the established custom of your sex to reject a man on the first application and perhaps you have even now said as much to encourage my suit as would be consistent with the true delicacy of the female character really mr collins cried elizabeth with some warmth you puzzle me exceedingly if what i have hitherto said can appear to you in the form of encouragement i know not how to express my refusal in such a way as may convince you of its being one 
you must give me leave to flatter myself my dear cousin that your refusal of my addresses is merely a thing of course my reasons for believing it are briefly these it does not appear to me that my hand is unworthy your acceptance or that the establishment i could offer would be any other than highly desirable my situation in life my connections with the family of de bourg and my relationship to your own are circumstances highly in my favour and you should take it into further consideration that in spite of your manifold attractions it is by no means certain that another offer of marriage may ever be made you your portion is unhappily so small that it will in all likelihood undo the effects of your loveliness and amiable qualifications as i must therefore conclude that you are not serious in your rejection of me i shall choose to attribute it to your wish of increasing my love by suspense according to the usual practice of elegant females i do assure you sir that i have no pretensions whatever to that kind of elegance which consists in tormenting a respectable man i would rather be paid the compliment of being believed sincere i thank you again and again for the honour you have done me in your proposals but to accept them is absolutely impossible my feelings in every respect forbid it can i speak plainer do not consider me now as an elegant female intending to plague you but as a rational creature speaking the truth from her heart you are uniformly charming cried he with an air of awkward gallantry and i am persuaded that when sanctioned by the express authority of both your excellent parents my proposals will not fail of being acceptable to such perseverance in wilful self-deception elizabeth would make no reply and immediately and in silence withdrew determined if he persisted in considering her repeated refusals as flattering encouragement to apply to her father whose negative might be uttered in such a manner as must be decisive and whose behaviour at least could not be mistaken for the affectation and coquetry of an elegant female mother and daughter from pride and prejudice lydia bennet has eloped with the worthless rake wickham who has no intention of marrying her mrs bennet to whose apartment they all repaired after a few minutes conversation together received them exactly as might be expected with tears and lamentations of regret invectives against the villainous conduct of wickham and complaints of her own suffering and ill-usage blaming everybody but the person to whose ill-judging indulgence the errors of her daughter must be principally owing if i had been able said she to carry my point in going to brighton with all my family this would not have happened but poor dear lydia had nobody to take care of her why did the foresters ever let her go out of their sight 
i am sure there was some great neglect or other on their side for she is not the kind of girl to do such a thing if she had been well looked after i always thought they were very unfit to have the charge of her but i was overruled as i always am poor dear child and now here's mr bennett gone away and i know he will fight wickham wherever he meets him and then he will be killed and what is to become of us all the collinses will turn us out before he is cold in his grave and if you are not kind to us brother i do not know what we shall do they all exclaimed against such terrific ideas and mr gardiner after general assurances of his affection for her and all her family told her that he meant to be in london the very next day and would assist mr bennett in every endeavour for recovering lydia do not give way to useless alarm added he though it is right to be prepared for the worst there is no occasion to look on it as certain it is not quite a week since they left brighton in a few days more we may gain some news of them and till we know that they are not married and have no design of marrying do not let us give the matter over as lost as soon as i get to town i shall go to my brother and make him come home with me to gracechurch street and then we may consult together as to what is to be done oh my dear brother replied mrs bennet that is exactly what i could most wish for and now do when you get to town find them out wherever they may be and if they are not married already make them marry and as for wedding clothes do not let them wait for that but tell lydia she shall have as much money as she chooses to buy them after they are married and above all things keep mr bennet from fighting tell him what a dreadful state i am in that i am frightened out of my wits and have such tremblings such flutterings all over me such spasms in my side and pains in my head and such beatings at heart that i can get no rest by night nor by day and tell my dear lydia not to give any directions about her clothes till she has seen me for she does not know which are the best warehouses oh brother how kind you are i know you will contrive it all but mr gardiner though he assured her again of his earnest endeavours in the cause could not avoid recommending moderation to her as well in her hopes as her fears and after talking with her in this manner till dinner was on the table they left her to vent all her feelings on the housekeeper who attended in the absence of her daughters though her brother and sister were persuaded that there was no real occasion for such a seclusion from the family they did not attempt to oppose it for they knew that she had not prudence enough to hold her tongue before the servants while they waited at table and judged it better that one only of the household and the one whom they could most trust should comprehend all her fears and solicitude on the subject in the dining-room they were soon joined by mary and kitty who had been too busily engaged in their separate apartments to make their appearance before one came from her books and the other from her toilette the faces of both however were tolerably calm and no change was visible in either 
except that the loss of her favorite sister or the anger which she had herself incurred in the business had given something more of fretfulness than usual to the accents of kitty as for mary she was mistress enough of herself to whisper to elizabeth with a countenance of grave reflection soon after they were seated at table this is a most unfortunate affair and will probably be much talked of but we must stem the tide of malice and pour into the wounded bosoms of each other the balm of sisterly consolation then perceiving in elizabeth no inclination of replying she added unhappy as the event must be for lydia we may draw from it this useful lesson that loss of virtue in a female is irretrievable that one false step involves her in endless ruin that her reputation is no less brittle than it is beautiful and that she cannot be too much guarded in her behavior towards the undeserving of the other sex elizabeth lifted up her eyes in amazement but was too much oppressed to make any reply a letter of condolence from pride and prejudice mr collins to mr bennett on his daughter's elopement with a rake my dear sir i feel myself called upon by our relationship and my situation in life to condole with you on the grievous affliction you are now suffering under of which we were yesterday informed by letter from hertfordshire be assured my dear sir that mrs collins and myself sincerely sympathize with you and all your respectable family in your present distress which must be of the bitterest kind because proceeding from a cause which no time can remove no arguments shall be wanting on my part that can alleviate so severe a misfortune or that may comfort you under a circumstance that must be of all others most afflicting to a parent's mind the death of your daughter would have been a blessing in comparison of this and it is the more to be lamented because there is reason to suppose as my dear charlotte informs me that this licentiousness of behaviour in your daughter has proceeded from a faulty degree of indulgence though at the same time for the consolation of yourself and mrs bennet i am inclined to think that her own disposition must be naturally bad or she could not be guilty of such an enormity at so early an age howsoever that may be you are grievously to be pitied in which opinion i am not only joined by mrs collins but likewise by lady catherine and her daughter to whom i have related the affair they agree with me in apprehending that this false step in one daughter will be injurious to the fortunes of all the others for who as lady catherine herself condescendingly says will connect themselves with such a family 
and this consideration leads me moreover to reflect with augmented satisfaction on a certain event of last november for had it been otherwise i must have been involved in all your sorrows and disgrace let me advise you then my dear sir to console yourself as much as possible to throw off your unworthy child from your affection for ever and leave her to reap the fruits of her own heinous offence i am dear sir etc etc end of section fourteen recording by leonard wilson of springfield ohio